podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, 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 podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Dissonomics Podcast. Today, on a nice sunny day, I am joined by a special guest. Special guest, what is your name? Could you please reveal yourself? Hello, my name is Lola. I am a pupil barrister um, coming towards the end of my pupillage now and I specialise in family law. Okay, so first question I would ask you is, what on earth is a barrister and how is it different (laughs) to a solicitor? And are you the people that wear the funny wigs? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, a barrister is different to a solicitor because barristers tend to do most of the court advocacy. So the person you see representing people in court is usually a barrister. Solicitors can do it also up to a certain level. And they can do something called a higher rights of audience, which means that they are allowed to represent their client in court. Mm. But for the most part, it's barristers. Um, Yes, we're the ones with the funny clothes, but actually only crime hearings and certain kinds of hearings require that dress. So in the family law, we don't wear that at all. So Mm. we get mistaken for solicitors by clients who don't know the difference and we get called solicitors all the time because we don't look any different unless we do um, very specific kinds of hearings which mean we have to wear the robe and the wig and the collar and the whole shebang um so yeah that's the difference between us do you know by any chance putting on spot here um (laughs) the history regarding um the fancy dress for lack of a better term for barristers and why people still are doing wig and cape in 2020. (laughs) This is so bad that I did know it at one point, but I've actually forgotten. It's a really old thing hundreds of years ago. um, And there was something called court dress. And why we still wear it? Oh, the wig has a very special history, actually. I'm annoyed that I've forgotten. Um, it was, it, yeah, it does have a special history of being distri- being distinguished from other hair. Maybe they were losing their hair or something. I don't know. Mm. But yes, mm. <laughs> was, there is something. And yeah, you did put me on the spot because I don't remember now okay, what the so story is. If it comes to you, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll talk about it again. Okay, Mark, yes. okay, so, so that is the difference between a solicitor and a barrister. At what point in your life would you say, do you know what, um... I actually want to be a barrister or something regarding the legal system, the judicial system as a career path. When did you first Um, start to think that? Sorry, I was young. I was maybe like nine years old, 10. I knew I wanted to be, or actually I wanted to be a judge. And I found out you had to be a lawyer before you were a judge. So I said, okay, fine, I'll be a lawyer. And then in terms of solicitor or barrister, once I realised the difference between them, I was always sure I wanted to be a barrister. I wanted to be that one that was in court doing all the arguing, um, all the verbal stuff. So solicitors instruct barristers. 
So solicitors take what's called instructions from their client, which is their position, what they want to happen. They prepare uh, the bundles and the papers, and then they tell the barrister what they should be doing and what they want to happen. And then we go to court and we tell the judge or judges or magistrate. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to be that person that was standing in court, um, saying all the things and arguing. So, yeah, it was quite an easy choice for me. Okay. Um, so are you an argumentative person by nature? <laughs> Everyone that knows me will say yes. You don't yes, come across that manner, that way. Mm. You don't. So, I okay. So I am. Oh, okay. So maybe you're just, you're public persona is, uh, is a fraud. No, even, <laughs> no, even in public, I don't think, I can be quite nitpicky. Um, I think I'm, I'm trying to work on this, but I think I'm a little bit defensive. Um, if I feel I'm being attacked, I, I can react quite defensively. Um, so yeah, I think most people would say that I'm, I'm always ready. That's the thing. I, I don't think I go looking for arguments, but if they come to me, I'm ready. I stay ready. Mm. Do, do, do you, okay, really random question, yeah. But do you mm. feel like, like, I don't know, let's say it's a, a love interest or friend or family, do you feel like you win? Do you feel like you win your, the majority of like, let's say, arguments <laughs> that you might get into? Because I feel well, like, if, I feel like as a barrister, I feel like yeah. you have an unfair advantage and you probably shouldn't win because <laughs> you know it is your job. <laughs> to argue on evidence yes. and all that stuff. So do you tend to do well in that type of scenario? Well, of course I would say yes. Who who thinks that they're in the wrong? Like, who actually thinks that? My mum is annoying. Like, my mum is so Nigerian. <laughs> and I got to a... And I would argue with her, and she would always just end the argument by saying, well, no, no, I can never win an argument with you. You're the lawyer, you're the barrister, you know everything. I can never win, so... So I'm like, I'm like damn right. Every time. <laughs> I'm like, damn right, mum. <laughs> Lest you forget. <laughs> Let's I remember that when you're talking to me. No, no that's a quick way to get slapped, but. <laughs> so, yeah, when, when Mumsy's losing now, she just says, okay, Lola, she says, you're the barrister. I can never win. So, whatever, fine. Okay. Okay, okay cool. <laughs> so, at the top of um, when you introduce yourself, introduce yourself, you said something about uh, pupillage. What yes. on earth is a pupillage? Pupillage is like a year-long training to be a barrister. So you go to law school, you get the sort of vocational qualification, which is a postgraduate, but then you have to do the last element, which is the practical element, go into cases all the time, shadowing people, trying your hand at work, and split into a first six and a second six. The first six is a lot of shadowing, practicing, doing work yourself. It's a really, really, really steep learning curve, mm -hmm. just trying to learn everything a barrister does. And the second six is what the profession calls being on your feet. And on your feet means you are allowed to do your own cases. Um, just like every other barrister, you're still supervised, you're still helped and supported, but you kind of go solo, you do your own cases, you do your own hearings. And then finally, when you finish your second six, everything's gone swimmingly well. You are finally a qualified barrister. So that's what a pupillage is. It's extremely competitive. Sometimes takes people three, four, five years in a row of applying um, to get one. 
Um, so yeah, it's the, it's the last hurdle, and you can't practice a barrister unless you do a pupillage. That, that's it. You get a pupillage, or you have to find something else to do with your life. Okay. And so, did you say that you're um, about to finish your pupillage, or did I miss here? Well, getting there. I'm about ten months in now. Okay. So about two months left. Okay. And so then, you're, you're yeah. reaching the end. Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. Congratulations in advance. Thank you. Okay. So okay. So for um those listening out there who may aspire to be barristers or have younger siblings or kids or like family members aspiring to be a barrister. Do you have to study law at undergraduate level to initiate this process? Or could you maybe have study another course and go straight into a law school? I think it's a law school thing, like a year or so. Yeah. Or is, is, is there like a particular path that you must embark on or is there a multitude of ways to kind of get yourself into that industry? Um, you- you don't have to do a law degree. My advice would be, unless there's another degree you really want to do, then just nip it in the bud and do the law degree. Um, if you do the law degree, so you finish, you get your LLB or usually LLB. I think there are other kinds of law degrees. You then go to law school. Whether you go straight after uni or not is another topic point that maybe we mm. can get onto. But you go to law school. Um, that's a year. Hopefully everything goes your way you get pupillage straight away the year after normally for most people it's not the case normally something has to bridge the gap um you get a pupillage um most recruit kind of a year and a bit in advance so um how do i explain this if you were to start pupillage straight after law school, you would have had to apply and you would have secured the pupillage before you even started law school. Okay. And that means you can start straight afterwards. If you apply in law school for the pupillage, and for most of them, it means you're not going to start for another year and three months or four months. So you have to find something to do in between anyway. Some recruit the same year it starts, but I think more than half don't. But So yeah, that's the path if you do a law degree. If you choose to do a different degree... It's a lot more expensive and it takes longer. And I'm not sure there's any real benefit to it unless you maybe want to do something else. So you do your normal degree, whatever that is. Let's say it's marketing. You really want to do a marketing degree. You then have to do something called the GDL. That's the Graduate Diploma in Law. And that's one year. And that's a conversion course. Mm -hmm. So you go to your law school, you do the GDL. Then after this, you still have to do the bar course. When I did it, because I'm a dinosaur, it was called the BPTC. Mm. But I hear now it's called the BPC, which is the, I guess it's the bar um, professional course, I'm guessing. That's a year. And then the same thing with pupillage. Hopefully you get one to start straight away when you finish law school usually not the case it's normally quite a long game trying to get a pupillage um so yeah no you don't have to do a law degree but unless you have some compelling reason to do a different degree i would just get on with it save yourself the ten thousand pounds it costs to do the gdl jesus um wow the bar course is even more expensive when i did it it was close to twenty twenty thousand. um so yeah, funding is a big issue when it comes to accessibility um, and diversity at the bar because how many people can afford to just pay £20,000 for a course, yeah. um, accommodation, all that stuff for a year. Yeah, that's another issue. Okay, so I was going to start to talk about um, 
um, diversity as well. So looking at um, some data myself, so looking, so I look at uh, the bars, standards board um, website, yeah. um, and according to the, um, the website, in 2019, there were 10,465 um, males practicing the bar compared to 6,389 um, females practicing the bar. So you see like mm. a, uh, that's a quite significant gap in terms of gender. And then if we look at um, black and other um, ethnic minorities, um, the number in 2019, you're looking at just over 2,000 compared to about 13,000 um, white people sitting in a bar. So you you see, so if just the sheer number, sheer volume of white people in comparison to blacks, Asians sitting in a bar is quite, quite different. So as a black woman... Um, how do you find it in your industry? Do you feel like you don't have many people that represent people like you and has it caused any issues or just difficulties or what's the adjustment period like? So like for for the listeners then, could you like um, explain that your experiences with that regard, from that regard? Shall I say? It's, it's interesting because pupillage, so every year the number varies, but somewhere between 350 and 400, 150 pupils and amongst those there are like I think like 11 or 12 black pupils in the whole country and Mad. the whole of Wales as well yeah so I know every single one I know every single I don't like not really personally but I know who they are I know who every single black people in the whole country is at the moment so that is strange um I had to do a, an advocacy course before I started on my feet um, just to check that I was competent, I wasn't going to get cases and mess it up. Like I could, I could advocate in court properly, mm-hmm. and I was the only black person there. Like out of all of us, there must have been about fifty of us, and then there must have been about another thirty trainers or so there at this residential. And I looked around at breakfast. I thought, gosh, there's about eighty people in this room, and I'm the only black person. And that's not an uncommon thing. I will often just, it will often just be me. Um, but fortunately, well, I shouldn't say fortunately because it's very unfortunate circumstances, but because of what happened to George Floyd and kind of the the galvanising of people in this country and, and uh, of members of the bar, I've more recently been in touch with more black people at the bar, particularly a lot of younger black people. And I've been begun to form those relationships recently. And it is it has been nice. It's been like a breath of fresh air, even just the way I talk, my language, like the slang I use, I have to think very carefully all the time when mm. I'm communicating with most people at the bar who obviously mostly white, very middle class, don't know, never heard slang in their life, but <laughs> I can just talk exactly how I would normally speak to these black people. And it's been really nice having that, having people to talk to about my experiences. But yes, I am hyper aware that I'm one of the only black people everywhere I go, um, even clients. So I'm in Surrey at the moment, South, but not London. Mm. And the few times I've been with somebody that's had a black client, like I see their face light up. They're like so happy to see me and I could see them immediately just relax and feel at ease. And anytime mm. it's been a woman, they've said to me, oh, it's so nice to see you. you've done so well. Like They feel like they can speak to me. And I feel like that's, I feel like that representation at the bar is really needed so that at least sometimes um, other black 
people and other minority ethnic clients get to have the experience where they feel like, oh, okay, it's not just me in a system and in a room that's full of white people. There's no one that looks anything like me. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of us at the bar that are very, very keen on improving um, the diversity within the bar and the access because there are big barriers to aspiring uh, um, for aspiring black lawyers and black students in getting to the bar that are racialized, and we're trying to do our best to help break those barriers down as much as possible. Okay, so you just uh, mentioned there's certain barriers that um, are um, are based uh, on race. You said racialized. Could you um, um, explain further for from what you've seen from experiences and other experiences and how these barriers um, manifest and the, and the detriment they do to put, um, potential um, lawyers or barristers? Well, there's a few things. One is just straight statistics. So at the bar course, there are three grades you can get, which is competent, which is fine. And then you get very competent, which is almost like the equivalent of a first at university. Yeah. And then you get outstanding, which is for the, you know, the very special people that's like 85% average plus. So very good. Um, and the stats say that when you adjust for degree classification, say people that got a, a 2-1, and then when you adjust for the qualification they got at the bar, so let's say very competent, white people are still far more likely than black people to get pupillage in the end. And there isn't anything that is clear as to the reason why there'll be Russell Group Uni, same degree classification, same classification at the, the the bar course, but yeah, black people still don't get pupillage as often as white people. So mm. clearly quite entrenched in the whole process, there's those issues. Um there's an issue with the diversity of um the recruitment panels and I raised this recently in a talk that I gave I went to a final interview so I think there were 300 applicants and then we got down to second round which I think so there were 300 applicants sorry roughly and then cutting that down to second round interview I won't say how many because I don't want to identify the place mm. they want it to be identifiable and then cut that down to an even smaller number at final round and i was interviewed by four white men and one white woman and already before the even interview in, interview even started i felt on the back foot and it's not that i was treated badly or and i was disrespected or i felt like there was passive aggressive racism or anything like that there wasn't but there are unconscious biases and if there people aren't thoroughly trained and unconscious buyers that will seep through and people will recruit in their own life. So there's obviously other things and other reasons why black people, even when they get the same grades, aren't getting um, as many pupillages as white people. But there's another large element as well that's very, very key to pupillage. It's the experience that you get. It's doing something called mini pupillages, which mm. is like three or four days at a chamber, shadowing, getting to know the work they do, etc they're quite difficult to get and it's quite difficult to get this kind of experience if you don't have the connections and that is a big thing a lot of black pupils and there's an intersection of class so working class um people black people just don't have that connections in the bar they don't know any barristers they don't get that foot in and that foot in is the start to other people giving you a chance with work experience and that's called 
wasn't a huge issue. So there is actually someone um, who has started a scheme called Bridging the Bar, which is to try and do exactly that, bridge that gap that a lot of um, kind of black and other disadvantaged people just just don't have when it comes to those connections. So it's kind of interlinked and a lot of the time quite nuanced, but there are a number of things that interacting together mean that black people just aren't given as much as a chance at pupillage as their peers. Okay, yeah. See, all the things you detailed um, just leads to just a lower number altogether. Um, and we always see this across different industries, whether it be... Um, or not in the same industry, whether it be trying to get a trading contract or trying to get into investment banking or trying to get a, yeah. a um, become like a practitioner of accountancy and all different types of degrees. And we just see these things happening. Um, what about from um, from a gender perspective? Uh, what has your experiences been like um, as a woman? And what is there any sort of biases on the basis of gender? And if so, um, can you explain why you think they yeah. exist um there's a lot of issues um, mm. some don't affect me uh yet they don't affect me yet which is uh, women primarily are the primary primary carers of children usually they are obviously it's not always the case but most of the time and the bar is just not very friendly to people who are primary carers of children and them being able to make their way. There's a big debate at the moment um, in which the courts are looking at possibly doing extended um, open hours. Barristers work around the clock anyway. They don't have any spare time as it is. So they're looking to extend the hours that the courts are open. And that really prejudices people who need to find childcare because nobody's coming to look look after their child at 6am and mm. will look after them, you know, at 7pm. So there's that issue. Uh, when it comes to numbers, when it comes to pupillage, it's probably about even. They're probably, I, I, I don't know the exact stat, but last time I looked, it's achieved roughly fairness in terms of women and men um, being given pupillage. I think women are slightly, slightly by a couple of percentages overrepresented, actually. Oh, wow. So at okay. that level, Yes, but at that level, it's fine. I mean, as you go higher up, as you go to the judiciary and uh, so judges are still not equal. And for black people, it's dire, the numbers. <laughs> but at least entering into the profession, quite even as a pupil, um, as a young barrister, do I feel treated differently? No. Part of that largely is though I'm in family law. Women are far overrepresented in family law. I don't know what the numbers are, but if I had to guess, I'd say there's like 80%, oh, 90, wow. maybe. Yeah. So we women dominate family law, which is probably a large part of the reason I'm sheltered from a lot. I have noticed some passive aggressive things that it's hard to it's hard to prove it's mm. because you're a woman, but you just know no, it yeah. is. Like I'll be in what we call the robing room at court, which is just the room for the advocates to go and the ones that need to change into their robes do. But otherwise, you know, prep, talk, whatever. And I was talking to somebody in there. We were both women. And these two men walked in and they were talking so loudly, completely over us. You'd think we weren't there. I couldn't even hear what she was saying anymore because they drowned out totally so then I started shouting and it was ridiculous I was shouting and she was laughing and like 
do it saying cut it out with her hands because she was embarrassed she was saying stop it but these men didn't even hear that I was shouting they we just might as well have not existed and no I can't prove it's because we were women but I just don't think they would have done that if it was two men and I've noticed other behaviors like that towards me um towards other women at the bar but as I've said being in family law I think I'm sheltered actually from a lot of the stuff that goes on and 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 perceptions of women and how they're treated because so often it's other women that I see and I'm around um okay I I was shocked to hear that um the pupilage numbers are almost identical if not maybe women be slightly overrepresented okay I'm actually quite shocked to hear that um yeah so there's been some progress at least yeah okay cool so um so back to getting into um the the legal sector if you're looking to be like a barrister okay so what are some of the tips that you can give people that they may not know because you know obviously it's certain when when you're in a competitive field even something that gives you a one percent advantage is still still crucial because competition is so high so what are some of the things that you may have done that you believe may have given you the edge. Obviously, I know that you're very bright. If people don't follow you on Twitter, she's she's very bright. But um, I feel like you're gonna need a bit. You're gonna need just more than being very bright and very competent. You're gonna need to be able to have certain, tick certain boxes, um, be able yeah. to present yourself or your resume or your application or whatever it may be. Obviously, I'm as aware in your industry. So, what are some of the yeah. things that you have done or you've known or you've known or heard other people have done that's been able to give them some form of competitive advantage? Oh, so much. And I'm not talking about me. I look back now. Uh, so I did, I, I've had a, I've not, I've had a non-direct route to the bar. I did my um, degree. I then went straight to law school. If I could go back, I wouldn't have done that. But I did go straight to law school. Um, I kind of then had this big dawn of realisation when I looked at the CVs of people that got pupillage, that it was too late for me to get up to there, get up to par I had some reservations about being self-employed as well. So I just abandoned it. I just, I gave up. I didn't apply anymore after the first time. Then did the ACA. Um, and then I worked on some legal things at KPMG, where I was, where I was at the ACA. And I realised that I missed the law so much. So I said to myself, I will just, I'll give it one last chance. It's been a few years. I've got another qualification now that would hopefully stand out because there aren't many people at all with the ACA at the bar. Um, did some really targeted applications and I did get pupillage. Um, so I, I wouldn't advise people to do what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could go back now, academics, everybody knows they're important. Like they are so, so, so important. If you can get a first, just put you in a better position. <laughs> Ideally, when you're doing the bar course, you need to get a very competent or an outstanding. I know people that got pupillage and are barristers now that are competent, but it just it's just another thing you kind of have to explain away yeah. with other experience. Um, mini pupillages. Um, you have to do a few, maybe three is a nice number. It would be really good early on if you identify what area you want to go into, because then all your experience can be really targeted to that area. And when you make your application, it will look like you live and breathe this. And it's Mm. clear it's something you really want to do and you're committed to. So if you can try, if you can work out what it is you want to do and only do your mini pupillages in that area, that's great. Apart from that, this is where the problem with 
there is with the diversity. There are lots of great opportunities that really make your CV look good and lots of people have them. Then they require you not to be paid. It's voluntary or it's an unpaid internship. And it, I think that could be really difficult if you actually you're at a position where you can't afford to go to The Hague um, mm. in the International Criminal Court for three months and pay for yourself. Because that was an opportunity I saw years ago. It would have been brilliant. I wanted to apply. I couldn't afford to. Um, so that that's an issue. But apart from many people, just, you do need to do things that show that you are interested in that area. Um, what that is, it depends what opportunity comes along. So, for example, I did... No, I'm not going to go into that. I'll bore people. <laughs> I did a lot of... <laughs> what are you talking about? I've never heard of this in my life. I did some family-orientated things. One example is I volunteered for a charity called the Personal Support Unit, and that was... Um, a charity that helps people that are representing themselves in court. It helps them do their forms, their admin, their paperwork. Mm. Um, a lot of these people have disabilities or other learning challenges. Um, and one sector that they they helped with people representing themselves in the family courts. So I spent some time doing that. So I was able to then say, I've got experience in family hearings and the procedure, etc. because I've done that. So it's things like that that can be linked back to one, being a barrister. So um, the skills needed to be a barrister, which is many things, but resilience, communication skills, advocacy. Um, and two, it linked to the area as well. It was family law. Um and there's something else I want to mention because I didn't know, I'd never heard of it. And this is the problem if you're not, if you're, if you're not a very middle class person with loads of connections to the bar. To become a barrister, you have to join something called an inn of courts and very traditional, very old school. Best way of describing it is it's like Hogwarts. It's like a <laughs> house. You, you, it is. It's, it's, there's four houses. You choose your house. That's your family. Um, but these Inns of court do uh, scholarships that you can get that one helps with the cost of the bar course or the GDL if you need to do that and even pupillage there are pupillage awards so it's really helpful in terms of being able to finance all these things you need to do but also they are prizes they are things that are awarded to show that they believe in you as an advocate and they believe in you having a career at the bar and I don't know what the percentage is of pupils that have scholarships. I think it's extremely high. I don't have any. And it's one of the reasons that when I looked at all the profiles and I saw all the scholarships, I thought there's no way I'm going to ever get one. But almost everyone I know that ever got a pupillage has some form of scholarship. So I would I would make that a priority. Um, and beyond that, people can contact me if they, if they want more detail. But I think that's an overview of the things that you need to be paying attention to if, if you decided that's what you want to do. Um, and for those at university level or younger, um, absolutely get involved in any kind of debating at uni, the law society, mooting competitions, anything that shows that you're an advocate, you can make a compelling argument based on evidence always great to show i wish i'd done more of that kind of thing while i was at uni i did some but i wish i'd committed to it more instead of you know having fun <laughs> 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 so yeah that's my advice from someone who 
has learnt the hard way about how to get here. Okay, wicked. So for a lot of things in life, they cost money. So uh, you spoke of the GDL cost of money, you spoke of law school cost of money, you spoke of, I think you referred cost of pupillage and all that type of stuff. So yeah. what are like the ranges of finances potential that is going to cost? Obviously, you said you can get sponsorships and scholarships or whatnot, but just to give people information, I always want people to have the yeah. most amount of information possible. What is like the approximate cost potentially if you want to go through with becoming a barrister? Um, I'll be talking if you've done a law degree or if you haven't. We'll, we'll, we'll go through both of us. Let's go if you've done a law okay. degree. If you've gone a law, if you've done a law degree, depending on where you do the bar course, I think the prices range. Uh, up north, it's less expensive. It might be somewhere close to ten, maybe twelve thousand. It can go all the way up to uh, my figures aren't up to date. I did it a few years ago, but over fifteen thousand mm. um that's just for the bar course now for scoop for scholarships the major scholarships i believe that they pay the entire bar course fee actually i believe <laughs> that that is covered which is amazing yeah. you know i wish i'd applied i wish i'd known that existed so that's great and for others they might pay you for the for the, for the much smaller scholarships they might pay you maybe one thousand something towards the cost mm. um there is, I believe, I think banks do postgraduate loans um, for masters, definitely. How applicable that is to the bar, I'm not sure. Um, possibly my information is a little bit out of date from when I did it. Um, but I, I had to use, um, a, a, well, I was lucky. I was very lucky because at the time, Investec did something called a law loan. And that meant that I was able to borrow the full cost of my fees um, plus a little bit for living allowances. So I think it was something around £20,000, but they got rid of that. Um, So an option is to do the bar course part-time. So instead of just doing one straight year of studying, you work like a normal person you do it part-time over two years, then that helps with your living costs, helps towards the fees. Um, aside from scholarships and help from family and borrowing, there aren't that many other options except saving. They're just, oh, it's hard, which is why there's such a barrier. There are people that say, I can't be, a, I can't become a barrister because I can't afford, I can't afford that course. Um, I think scholarships are a lifesaver and I think they offer quite a few. All of the ins of courts offer quite a number each year. So I think obviously that should be prioritised, make an application for those. And I had, I was fortunate as well, I had some family help um, rather than work or try to do part time work during the course. I was able to concentrate on mini pupillages, volunteering, that other experience that was needed. And I had family support. But yeah, it's not for the faint hearted. Uh, pupillage doesn't cost money, you get paid for pupillage. Um, the issue is they range in award. If you're if you're looking at a commercial set, a top commercial set, they might pay you sixty five thousand, which is great. That's fine. Um, if you're at a, a minimally funded pupillage, it's around thirteen hundred pounds a month. Now it depends on where you're living. Particularly if you're in London, it's just not. It's not really enough to mm. to live on if you're not at home, which means that there are other expenses you might need for that year, overdraft or credit cards or a, a small loan. Um, 
yeah, it can be it can be an expensive process. I wish I could tell everyone the magical way to get through it, but it's, it just takes some thinking, some saving, some creativity. Mm. And like I said, being aware that there are options where people, the ends, they will fund elements of, of the course. And that's a big help. I know people have found. Okay, with it. Um, so you referenced George Floyd um, earlier. I'm pretty sure you're on TV speaking about um, <laughs> diversity and stuff like that, where you claim to look like a potato, but I don't think you did. <laughs> but I don't think you did. Um, so, uh, so, how do you feel um, there's going to be some potential change in your industry with a heightened level of awareness? due to what we saw happen, especially with the, the strength and the power of the Black Lives Matter movement in, in recent months. And are you optimistic, pessimistic, or indifferent on things changing within your industry? Uh, I would like to say indifferent, because that means I don't care. And I do care, but I'll say at the moment, I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. I'll, I will wait and see. I believe there are some changes, and I know some national chambers i say some i know of one but i don't want to call them out one national mm. chambers have kind of i know that they've looked at their internal policies and they've put something out recently about how they're looking at kind of challenging the status quo and promoting diversity and i think there are other sets that are doing the same thing um amongst that there are almost some pressure groups forming um made up of black people and also at times of minority ethnic people within the bar who are kind of looking at the regulator which is the bsb that was the website you were on before um and the bar council and trying to push them into making the necessary changes how successful this all will be i'm not sure because I've, i've not seen anything on this level in the years that i've been connected to the bar of course um I hope so, but it really remains to be seen whether there's any real effective change. We'll see it in years to come, especially when we look at our judiciary uh, and senior promotions into judges, which is where the, the contrast in numbers via ethnicity is stark. Um, hopefully we start to see some changes there and then that will trickle down to the rest of the profession. But it remains to be seen how far that really does go in the end. Okay, okay, okay. And another question I want to ask you, do you think um, that the lack of representation at, at for example, in your, in, in your field, so barristers, is actually detrimental to how uh, maybe black and other ethnic minorities are represented? Not to say, of course, I'm not accusing barristers of doing bad jobs or what have you not, but do you think that the lack of representation is a factor that is missing um, within our community? I think it does. I don't want to go into it in too much depth just because I don't think I will do it justice. There are people that are in crime that are, have spoken about it recently far more eloquently than I could. But just as an example, um, one of my peers, her name's, I'll shout her out, her name's <laughs> Bola Johnson and she has a podcast herself called um, The Manifesto Read. But she wrote an article recently with a really interesting anecdote where she was representing a client and he had said in a message to someone to allow it. So the prosecution are saying, he's saying, allow it, a.k.a. 
let them do it. Like, he was oh. giving his consent. Yes. But her being black, obviously she knew he meant like, no, like, Don't do allow it. it. So she was able to explain that in context to the court. Now, it's not to say no white people know what allow it means. There would be some. But for the vast majority of the demographic of the bar, if they were his representative, they would not have known how best to explain uh, that. Exactly. Context. So that's just a clear example that, yes, it does matter. It massively matters. And there are people, like I said, that have gone into bet, you know, they're more eloquent and it's their kind of everyday job. They see it all the time that can explain it better than me. But yeah, there are, there are, um, other colleagues I know, black colleagues that are representing people, um, that they get mistaken for defendants all the time. Jesus um, Christ, after I paid yeah. for the GDL and or whatever, <laughs> you're not going to hear call me a defendant if I flip yeah. this table. Are you mad? <laughs> yeah, they're at court ready to represent their client and they're just assumed to be the defendant. There was, there, there was another anecdote from a colleague where there were these uh, three black men and they were in suits and they'd obviously come to maybe either watch a hearing or support someone. But there were there were concerns and whispers because, oh no, that gang over there are very intimidating. And someone had to explain they're not the defendants and they're not a gang. Like, they're just three people that happen to be in the same vicinity who are black men. So, yes, it is an issue. And I think um, diversity at the bar isn't going to fix all of that, but it helps at least move things in a better direction than it is currently. Okay, cool. So, so this is more like um, social stuff. So, to give people a more yeah. well-rounded idea of yourself, so you are a barrister. <laughs> you have obviously having to work long hours. Do yes. you actually have any form of social life? This is not me sending for you because I have followed Instagram, so I know you do to a certain degree. What mm. What are your hobbies outside um, um, family law? If you have hobbies. <laughs> If you, you have, make me sound, if you have hobbies, so sneaky. If you have, I don't know if you have hobbies. The listeners don't know if you have hobbies outside um, family law. I I like to write on occasion. I'm a what do you write? Things. What are you, um, are you a rapper? I don't know. <laughs> to write a bar and no, I'm not a rapper. Um, I like writing a bit of poetry. You know, short stories. Uh, I've written a few articles recently that have been that was solicited actually um and published recently okay um, so, yeah talk about I, it like why are you moving shy for like that's a that's a that's a that's that, yeah that's a flex though you've written something <laughs> that people have published and you're like oh yeah i write poems sometimes well, and... only, a co- only a couple of things you know a few yeah. amateur articles um i did one for reuters um oh just just for... just something for reuters like you're talking like you're writing for like <sighs> Anyway, go on. Just like, do you know what um, I mean? Just a bit, a bit of Reuters, like nothing too heavy. But yeah, a bit, bit of Reuters. Um, I did one for Legal Week as well. So could... Another massive publication, but go on. Oh, I think that's it. I think they're the only... Yeah, just, just two reputable, oh, highly yeah, reputable yeah. publications. Nothing nothing to shout home about. <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I went on the BBC as well, if we're going there. But yeah. yeah. Um, I go to the... See, I don't want to say I go to the gym because then when I stop going, people will say, hmm, she said she went to the gym. <laughs> no, but everybody goes through that. We all go through that. We go to the gym for a few weeks and then we're like, oh, yeah, we have one yeah. week off and then it just becomes seven weeks off. Like, tr- trust me. No. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I'm just, 
I'm just a normal girl. Like, this is a standard thing. I've got my things that I love watching and I like going out and see if that, you know, the normal crap people say. Like, <laughs> this is music and seeing my friends and family and all that stuff. I'm just a normal person. Uh, in pupillage, have I had a social life? No. But the thing is, when you're a pupil, you don't even want one. You're anxious all the time. It's an mm. experience I cannot, I cannot adequately put into words. It's just a very scary pressurized year and i know i haven't really wanted one that much to be honest with you i've just wanted to kind of get my head down and mm. get it done yeah so. um and, and it different it, it differs i mean all barristers work really hard like not working in the weekends and the evenings i find it crazy that there was a time where on a friday i would shut my laptop and i wouldn't open it again till monday i can't believe i ever had a life that was like that that's just not a thing anymore i work like six or seven days a week evenings as well and i think pretty much everyone at the bar does but i have to say i think the criminal barristers have it the hardest i think they work even harder than the rest of us and longer hours i do um i almost did a criminal pupillage i got very very close um on balance, I'm glad that I did. <laughs> I can't lie to you. When I look back, I think, mm, not sure. It's for me. I still love crime and I love the practice, but the life that they lead, oh, I'm not sure it's for me. Yeah. But they do a great job. They work very hard. They're, you know, they're heroes. So, no, it's not for the faint-hearted. I mean, if you if you want to have your weekends completely free and come back from work in the evening and no you don't have to check emails or anything like that then no it's not for you because it's just it's just not the case but then there are obviously a lot of other perks of being self-employed not having a manager or appraisals or any of that stuff as well is nice so yes yeah, yeah, speak on the self-employed part of it because that's what I, yeah. to, I, I, was to, I almost forgot to ask you so how does that work out so like what's the logistics behind being a barrister when you when they say that you're self-employed well, there's the employed bar, which means they're a barrister in an organisation. I think they have better lives than the rest of us. Um, you know, they get their salary and all their benefits and contracted working hours and all that stuff. But the vast majority of the bar are self-employed, which is just exactly as it stands. We belong to a chambers yes. where they're called tenants. This is after pupillage. You have to then apply for a tenancy. So it's not that you finish pupillage and then that's it. You then need someone to take you, whether that's the set you've done pupillage out or whether it's another set, you apply to be a tenant. So barristers are tenants within a chambers and they all pay rent towards the chambers, but they are all their own entities. They don't, they have, there's a head of chambers that will kind of run things overseas, but they don't have a manager or a boss or all the other things. You don't get holiday or sickness leave, pensions, all that stuff. You are self-employed, just the almost like a contractor mm. but you belong to the chambers that's kind of your barrister family um and someone wants to hire you or instruct you for work they go to your chambers they know that's where you are they know they can speak to your clerks and yeah that's how it works okay. the vast majority and it's not for everyone some people love it the freedom um say for example your trial finishes your trial was meant to last five days it finishes on the second day at 2pm, then you're just free to go home, do what you want, chill, go to the beach. You don't have to call your manager and say, is there anything else I can do? Oh, okay, yeah. Like so yeah, <laughs> you're your own, your own, basically running your own little business as a barrister. So yeah, you're, it's a lot of autonomy, not as a pupil, obviously, because yeah. you're supervised and assessed, but once you're out of pupillage, 
then yeah th- those are the benefits and downsides of, of the self-employment aspect okay and my final question to you is yes. what do you see in your future as a barrister do you, is this something you want to do for the rest of your life do you want to i don't know quit and become a skier i don't know like what do you <laughs> what is your future plans wow tricky question because even if i wanted to do something else i can't say that because i'm going to be applying for tenancy soon that's actually but, very true <laughs> but, but, but that's fine but because it's fine because the truth is i do want to be a barrister absolutely i love it i live and breathe it i love family law i love being in africa i do i at the minute i see myself on the bench which is the judiciary i see myself being a judge at mm. the moment we'll see how that goes i might end up loving practice so much that i don't actually want to do that because obviously once i become a judge i stop doing this i stop representing people or that kind of aspect um but yeah i'm i'm in it for the i'm in it for the long haul hopefully specialize in something to do with children maybe mm. non-accidental injury um so kind of child protection that kind of thing mm. um but yeah i do I'm, I'm in it i'm in it for the long haul okay well all the best of that i'm sure you Thank succeed you. you seem to be on a mission of success from the outside looking in and I'm sure that's the case um, where can people find oh, so two things so where people can find you if you that's only if you want to be found by the way like oh it's on my podcast um, guest if you want to be found you'd have to say and also where can people find um, so, some of the information that could be useful to them in their quest to become a barrister or a lawyer or a judge like yeah. where's what are the podcasts or websites or books or whatever that they can or societies they can get involved with um, yeah, I don't want to give my details. I wanted to go incognito. Joking, I'm joking. Um, I'm on in, I'm on Twitter legally underscore Lola, and I'm on Instagram under the same um, under the same app, the same name. In terms of sources, a colleague of mine has worked for a long time on a brilliant blog called Pupillage and How to Get It. I can't remember if it's .com or .co.uk. But Sorry, I I'll find it. Pu- I'll, I'll put it in my okay, description. Okay, brilliant. Pupillage and How to Get It. Um, that's that's the main one that I think is great. There are a lot of um, Zoom talks and seminars and stuff about getting into the profession that have been circulating for a while. I've been on a couple. So it's really good if you can, if you're on Twitter, to try and just enmesh yourself into legal Twitter. Because mm. I know that there are a lot of people that have got opportunities that way and mini pupillages and been able to sit with a judge just from kind of building their network, being friendly, meeting people, um, going to these Zoom talks. I know that's that's a great way a lot of people have gotten in. And I know, even though I'm not a big dog at all, I'm like a baby, I'm a baby barrister, and there's mm. not that much I can do for people. People have contacted me through being in that sphere and I've been able to put them onto something else and help in that way. And I am very, very, very keen to help and support people and point them in the right direction if it's needed but yeah if you can kind of find your way into the community known as legal twitter that's a great place to start as well okay fantastic well well thank you so much for taking time out to give people some of the gist the legal gist um i hope you have a fantastic week and all the best i'm sure you don't need it if you're remaining two months and once you um once you blow Dory will be coming <laughs> we'll be coming after you so you can spoil us but thank you thank you so thank you well, so much for having me thank a, you I really a, appreciate absolutely it absolutely anytime thank you Sports
Sports Social Podcast Network.